In missionary conversations today, the topic of movements often comes up, whether it's dealing with disciple-making movements or church multiplication movements. You're listening to Season 4, Episode number 13 of Strike the Match. My guest today is Steve Addison. He is an expert on this topic, and we talk about his forthcoming book, The Rise and Fall of Movements. So with that in mind, let's... Welcome to Strike the Match with teacher and missiologist, Dr. J.D. Strike the Match is a podcast that addresses matters related to missions, innovation, and leadership. Now here's J.D. If you know anything about movements, disciple-making movements, church planting movements today, then you know that you have come across the writings or the podcast of my guest today on Strike the Match, uh, Steve Addison. He, he probably needs very little introduction for many of you that, that are listening. In fact, when I, when I mention uh, his name to individuals uh, that are out there, uh, often I hear them say, oh yes, I know who, he's, who he is, or I've read one of his books, or I've listen to his podcast. And so my guest today on Strike the Matches is Steve Addison. Uh, he is the author of three books on movements, and we're actually going to be talking about a book that's about to come out uh, that he has recently written on the topic. Uh, he's written a book called Pioneering Movements. He has one called What Jesus Started. And uh, the first book that, that uh, I was introduced to Steve, uh, in which I was introduced to Steve, was his book uh, Movements That Changed the World. He leads the uh, mission agency MOVE. Uh, he lives in Melbourne, Australia. He's a podcast host. Uh, he's a minister. He has a heart for uh, catalyzing movements. And so I'm really looking forward to talking uh, to Steve today. His, his book that at the time of this recording uh, that is about to be released uh, is called The Rise and Fall of Movements, uh, A Roadmap for Leaders. And I had the, uh, the privilege of being able to read a an early copy of this and write an endorsement for the book. And so uh, right at the outset, I want to encourage you to keep a, keep an eye and an ear out for, for this book because you'll definitely want to get a copy. So Steve, we're so thankful that you're with us today. Welcome to Strike the Match. Well, thank you, J.D., and, and thanks for that introduction. Hey, it is great to have you back. I, I believe uh, we did a, did a podcast, uh, I don't know, two or three years ago on Strike the Match. Yes, I think we did. It might have been around the time of uh, the last book coming out, Pioneering Movements. I, th- I believe I think that that's exactly the case. Well, so for those listeners that that may not be aware of who you are, could you could you tell us just a little bit about about yourself uh, before we get into our conversation today? Sure. Well, one of the most important things is I'm a grandfather of uh, Jackson and Maisie, uh, married to Michelle. We have uh, four grown-up children, uh, all of whom live here in Australia, and. Um, Yes, yeah, so our, our mission together in life is uh, to be catalysts for church planting movements, and, uh, and it's a wonderful call uh, that God's placed upon us. So um, there's a little bit of background. Well, one of the things that uh, the, many of the listeners are going to be familiar with is that when they hear your name, they think about that issue of movements. And, and so I, I have to ask sort of the, uh, the, the obvious question, you know, why write about why write about movements? I mean, your first uh, book, uh, the one that I mentioned earlier, Movements That Changed the World, uh, Pioneering Movements, and then, you know, What Jesus Started. Why, why the interest in movements? Well, I was a young church planter, and, uh, you know, we, we had an incredible experience of church planting. We had a good, solid church behind us and a good team. And the new church just took off. 
And by the end of the first year, we had well over a couple of hundred people, which is, is amazing in Australia. And, um, you know, we walked into, found out, we, we wandered our, our way into a minefield of church conflict. I, I don't know if Baptist churches in the U.S. ever have conflict, but, you know, we, we did. And <laughs> No, that only happens in other yeah. countries. <laughs> and, you know, God used that uh, to get my attention. And I, I spent a lot of time just seeking him. And, and in that process, I really sensed the Lord challenging me to lay down my life afresh, to hand over my ministry, which I thought was pretty impressive, you know, and to um, hand his church back to him. Um, and uh, it was really quite a, a significant three months in my life of just seeking God early in the morning. Not out of discipline, out of desperation. Lord, get us out of this trouble, you know. And in the midst of that came a real strong sense from the Lord one, one morning. Steve, it's not just about one church plant. It's about a whole new generation of churches that will sweep across the country. And, you know, when, when we have a ministry, that's something that we call others to come and help us with, to achieve our ministry. And, and that's fine in itself. But a movement is when God multiplies disciples and churches uh, through people beyond our span of control. You know, we have a, a role in, in raising up disciples and leaders and churches and so on. But when we get to that um, reproducing generations of disciples and churches. It's a work of God. And so while we may sort of be preoccupied with our ministry, every now and again we've got to step out and say, yeah, but, you know, there's a much bigger picture here, which is uh, what we see in the Gospels and Acts. You know, Jesus came to found a missionary movement. Um, and it uh, spread it, it, throughout the book of Acts. It's just talking about where, where the word is growing, uh, it's spreading, the word is multiplying. And wherever the word, the living word of God goes, the fruit uh, disciples and churches. Yeah, I mean, you, you see passages even like in, uh, in Acts 19 where, where, where Paul is in the hall of Tyrannus and, and all of Asia mm. Minor. You know, here's yeah. here's the word, and you know, First Thessalonians chapter one, the the word rings out from you throughout Macedonia and Achaia. So, so you're no doubt. I mean, when we look back in the New Testament, we we, we see such such incredible works, movement of the Holy Spirit. Um, I, I, I want to get to your book that's about to be released, and I'm really excited about this book, The Rise and Fall of Movements, um, a roadmap for, for leaders. I like I like that subtitle. Um, one of the things that I think may be that, that's kind of out there that I'm wondering about, would like to hear your response to, is is here's why you, you mentioned why we talk about movements, why you write about movements, but in this late latest uh, evolution generation in your thinking, the issue of life cycle comes up. So what what what's the what's the reason for needing to talk about the life cycle of movements? Mm. Yeah, and some people have said, Steve, it's a bit negative, right? <laughs> it is, because you, you, you're talking about things such as the decay of movements, one of the chapters in your yeah. book. Well, and I, my, my response is, have a look at history. <laughs> Let's face the reality. Have a look at the New Testament. That, um, uh, and, and, and so there, there is a discernible pattern. It's not an inevitable journey. 
but movements uh, are born in that you know fresh burst of life, often on the fringe of um, the institutional church. Um, not all survive even that birth phase, but they they many movements do. The Southern Baptist is a is a denomination coming out of a move, an amazing movement of God in U.S. history, um, and it it grew exponentially. But movements typically after, and sometimes it can take a, a generation or two generations. But uh, they plateau. Well, why why do they plateau? Um, and why? Why are they so reluctant to turn around and, and be restored and back into um, advance? But they often tip into decline. And it's not really a movement decaying when it gets to that last phase. It's an institution decaying that once was a movement. Do you think that, that I mean, just, just a thought on that. Do you think that sometimes whenever the movements are started and they become organized and, and more structured, uh, does that organization and structure sometimes uh, facilitate the movement to continue on, or does it does it slow it down and eventually take it to a decay stage? Well, the answer to that is yes, <laughs> and this is what we call a institutional dilemma. In that in that birth phase where it's very fluid and dynamic, um, it, but in order to spread beyond the founder or the founding group and still maintain some strength and cohesion, you need some basic structures and methods and strategies. Now, the dilemma, and this is why we call it a dilemma, you can't get out of this problem. It's a creative tension because on the other side, you know, go down a little bit and all of those uh, strategies and methods have been sort of locked in as you know, it's it's. We not only believe the Bible, but we believe the church should meet at eleven a.m. <laughs> and there should be a choir, and there should be you know. And so we've made our methods holy rather than uh, the things that really matter. But you can't advance into that growth phase. I mean, you see this in John Wesley with the early Methodists. Um, this man is a master at both the birth phase, but the growth phase where he's carefully building a dynamic movement that can spread globally uh, and still carry that heart that God had given them. But fast forward, you know, 100 years, uh, fast forward to today, and praise God, the United Methodists have just sort of made a decision to to hold to um, the authority of scriptures. But they've suffered. They're, they're trying to turn something around because they've they've locked in and, and this is the other dilemma. What's happening is when a movement declines, we're locking in our methods, which aren't sacred, right? But as some of the United Methodists have done, we've moved away from our identity as a people under God's living word, dependent on the Holy Spirit, committed to the core missionary task. So in that sense, um, institutions... Um, they're conservative in their methods and structures, but they've actually accommodated themselves to the world in their core identity. So part of the key to the renewal of a movement is to get back to your identity in Christ.
You're exactly right. I mean, even even in contemporary, you know, American history, when we look at like the uh, the Calvary Chapel movement and and what came out of that, the Vineyard movement, uh, those yes, those structures that that are necessary are sort of a double-edged sword. They, you're right. They lead to to that uh, that transition from from increased uh, growth to actually you know plateauing and declining. You know, one of your chapters uh, in the book is, is on the, the topic of, of rebirth. I think you call it you know, dry bones can live, and I think that's an incredibly important uh, chapter in the book. C- can you give us a little bit about what that what that con- what the content in that chapter is? If all these movements are eventually going to hit uh, that uh, plateau and potentially decline. Well, I think one of the first thing is even though the rigid structures and all outdated practices and the like, they're the symptom of the decline. They're not driving it. So rather than just get it in the consultants and do the restructure and have a reimagination or whatever you might do, you've got to get back to first things before you can move forward. And what I talk about in the book is what's driving the rise of a dynamic disciple-making movement and what's driving its fall is the degree to which we pursue those three things. And I draw them, these three things are, are foundational for any movement that continues on in what Jesus started. And so I just go to where are the foundational passages for the movement he started? Well, there is the story of his baptism and his wilderness testing. And they they come between Jesus of Nazareth, uh, Carpenter, Mary and Joseph's son, and then Jesus, the, the coming king. You've got these two stories. And we won't have time to go over them now, but the, the three key essentials that I think are pretty clear in those stories is his obedience to the living word as as a loving son of the father, his total dependence on being led and empowered by the Holy Spirit, and then finally his, his mission, which is to give his life a ransom for many and to found a missionary movement that will spread out into the ends of the earth, multiplying disciples and churches. So when a movement begins to institutionalize, one of the key things is to make a fresh return to who we are. This is our identity. And then as we do that, we start uh, learning from the strategies that Jesus employed. And we talk about what those strategies were, are, and we realign everything we do um, with those patterns we see in Jesus' ministry and in the New Testament. But we start with identity. And so it's as much a spiritual and moral return as it is an organizational one. So you, so you do believe that uh, for movements that they can, uh, they, they can avoid the, 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 the death that comes by, by basically experiencing another, another um, climb in their growth uh, if they begin to return to what, who their identity is and think in a healthy way about strategy and methods? Well, you know, if, if you're, a, let's say, let's just make it local. You're a little local church and, I don't know, you've got a, a dozen elderly folk like me. <laughs> you're struggling. You, you return to the living word, dependence on the spirit, commitment 
and faithfulness to the core missionary task, let me promise you, God will show up. Things will happen. And um, But there comes a point at which an institution repudiates its identity. And there's no return from that point. Um, and I think you, you can't necessarily, I mean, because movements are made up of people. So just like you and I, JD, we need to continually return to who we are in Christ. And the reality is there are going to be slumps. We're going to fail. Um, and the Lord, the living Lord Jesus, is going to restore us if we are willing to love and obey him. And I think it's the same thing for a movement, you know, that and yet people say, well, then why if it's if, if it's the church? Why? How is it that it could, you know, decline and decay? Well, read the Bible. <laughs> you know, the whole New Testament is it's saying beware of, of this false identity. It's not just false teaching, but it's, it's not understanding who we are in Christ, who Christ is, what he's done for us. Throughout the New Testament, continually warning, warning. And then in the book of Revelation, we've got letters written to the churches that were either, you know, founded, um, well, in, in that whole Asia Minor area. And there us, I will come and take your lampstand away from you. You will no longer be a living church unless you turn back. And all of all of that is within that first generation of believers uh, that that we get those that the letter of revelation to those those seven churches. Yeah, and I, I think they're also it's not quite a mini correction. There's significant corrections along the way, and so we just open up that story of of, of Peter in the house of Simon the Tanner at, at Joppa with the vision. Um, then getting dragged by the Holy Spirit to Cornelius's house. He doesn't want to go inside. He thinks they're all unclean. Um, he preaches the word. The Holy Spirit comes in power. And then Peter says, now I understand. <laughs> you know, well, just who is this guy, Peter? Trained by Jesus, filled with the spirit of Pentecost. He preached at Pentecost. He's an apostle. He writes scripture. It's 10 years since the Great Commission was given. And so, you know, here is a growing dynamic movement, and God is intervening to shake Peter, um, to shake his understanding of how we're going to fulfill this mission to the Gentiles. And then Peter's got to go and explain that to everyone who's angry at him down in Jerusalem. This is the church, the first church, you know, and the church in Jerusalem is shaken. Um, because, and you think, well, Jesus, why didn't you make it clearer? Why didn't you just give a more in, clear instructional manual here? Well, he gave his living word. He gave his spirit. He gave the core missionary task. And he's just calling Peter and those, uh, you know, the church of Jerusalem back uh, so they can see a new uh, period of advance. Steve, was there uh, a surprising insight uh, that just kind of leaps out at you from from your research uh, behind this book. Well, it's probably uh, pretty obvious now that it was this identity piece, this word, spirit, core missionary task. You know, I, I started sort of wrestling with this topic, um, you know, almost like twenty five years ago, 
And I think if I had written the book at any point up until just a few years ago, I would have written it as, you know, they're, they're helpful. You know, here's, a, here's an organizational paradigm of, of the life cycle. Let's, let's superimpose it on the church of the living God, <laughs> you know. Now, there are some lessons you can learn about institutionalism and all of that. But I just feel like the Lord all that time was building into me the identity piece. Um, and then the two came together in my thinking and understanding probably less than a couple of years ago. And I thought, this is right. This is right. And this is the, the key to the rise and fall. That's such a good point because I have I've read others that have taken the life cycle and have overlaid it on the church, but th- but it's often lacked that identity piece. It's like they take in the life cycle concept out of uh, corporate uh, America, corporate Australia, and lay it across the the church and say, okay, here it is, and they they lack that DNA component, that that identity that you're talking about. You do something in this book that I was most encouraged. I was encouraged by a lot of uh, material in this book, but but one thing that I really longed, I've been longing to see, is a case study on the No Place Left movement, and and you have uh, that in this book. It, it may very well be that this is the the first case study on No Place Left that is in a book format, and so uh, I'm just curious. Could you just maybe tell us a little bit about that uh, case study? Yes, well, and really, it's uh, no place left. is is a coalition of individuals and churches who are committed to that Romans fifteen vision of you know between Jerusalem and all the way up to Illicrum. Illicrum, um, there's no place left for Paul. Uh, he's fully proclaimed the word, and and that's our de- desire throughout the world. And um, really, it's come from. Uh, a number of practitioners who've seen multiplying movements of disciples and churches out in the field, you know, a lot uh, in South Asia and India and Nepal, people like Jeff and Amy, Angie, sorry, Angie, Jeff and Angie Sundell, who've come back to the United States for various reasons and they're saying, why can't we see this happen here? And after it's been about eight years now, after that time, we're beginning to see the early signs of movement, um, not just throughout the US or Australia or now in Europe and the UK, but it's spilling over because as churches are pursuing no place left in cities like Houston, um, then they're discovering these principles and practices of disciple-making movements in their own backyard and identifying over a period of time people who are ready now to go to the ends of the earth. So all the signs there of a dynamic multiplying uh, movement, really of a coalition of streams of multiplication. And so, you know, we don't want to wait until this thing's fully cooked before we start talking about it. Um, And so that's why I've sort of opened up and shared uh, many of the stories from around the world. And I'm so glad you did. That's, I think that's a good point, and I really want to push in on that, that we need to tell stories before, to use your words, they're fully cooked. I mean, it's it, often we wait. We wait for so long, and then time has passed, and then it takes time to get those stories out. We, I like to say we need to, to share today's stories later today. Uh, in other words, we, we don't need to wait around, even if we don't have all the 
bugs worked out uh, and we've got questions, we need to get it, get it out there and get people talking about it. One of the things that uh, is, I think, important for us to think about with your book is that your subtitle is very important. You call it a roadmap for leaders. So in this book, you, you, you look at these various movements throughout uh, history and you, you approach them with uh, you know, case study eyes. And, and then, of course, you look at the contemporary uh, No Place Left approach. But you say that this, this book is a, is a roadmap for leaders, and it's not just about looking at the past, looking at case studies. C- can you explain what, you're, what you mean there uh, by that subtitle? Well, you know, a, a movement is just a, a group of people committed to a common cause. And so we, we do need to look at the big picture and especially over long periods of time to see, to learn the lessons. But when it comes down to it, you know, it's a, it's a local church pastor who says, well, I can't do everything. But, you know, I could do what uh, a guy called Charles Simeon did many years ago in, in, in England, where he's pastoring a church uh, at Cambridge. Uh, he's having struggles in the church, but he just decides to start mentoring and discipling um, young students and preparing them for ministry uh, in the UK and overseas. And in the course of his life, he raised up, he did that for 54 years, about 20 students a year. That's a thousand leaders. You know, I mean, make it 10 a year, <laughs> you know, and teach them how to make disciples and, and, and raise up leaders. That's a movement. And so it begins just with a local church pastor who's, you know, at one time they, his, his church locked him out of his own building. <laughs> he didn't like to hear the gospel, you know. So it's and and he he changed the course of the evangelical movement in the Anglican Church as a result. And so we're telling stories of just local churches. Some of them are big mega churches, but some of them are just ordinary local churches. And they just say, well, we're just going to teach our people how to connect, how to share the gospel, how to read the Bible with someone for discipleship. And why, why don't we just set all of our people free to go make disciples? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I love how you how you take this this grand concept of a life cycle, something that obviously we think about as being very, very large over a long period of time, and you explain it in very simple ways, and you show us practically how simple it is. This, this, this book has uh, a great deal of re- uh, relevance to uh, local churches, and so I, I'm, I certainly appreciate, appreciate that. Uh, that take on on this book, and so um, church planters, pastors that are listening, missionaries that are out there listening, uh, th- this is a book that you need to to add to your library. If if you are a student of of movements, if you've got a heart for the Great Commission, which we all should, you, you need to check out this book. And so, uh, keep an eye, keep an ear out uh, when its uh, publication uh, will come about. Uh, it should be pretty soon. I know Steve, you and I are recording this. You know, before it comes out, how long do you expect it to be before the book comes out? Definitely, it'll be out in May, and okay. uh, we're 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 working for early May. Okay, so a couple months from the time of this this recording. So, regard you know, depending on when you're listening to this this broadcast, uh, make make sure you you check out the rise and fall of movements, uh, a roadmap for for leaders. Uh, Steve, if people want to find you on social media, can you tell us uh, how they could? connect with you yes if if they uh, look for on on facebook movements.net 
on Twitter, Movements and that. And then the, uh, the blog and the podcasts are coming out on uh, the web at movements.net. And that's when they, where they can get sort of regular updates about the book and, and sort of associated material. And tell us a little about your podcast, because you've been a podcaster for several years. What, what is the, uh, the purpose, the heart of what you do in each episode? Well, I, I sort of stumbled into podcasting, and, and um, the model that we've pursued is simply to find good practitioners on the front line who have fresh stories of new disciples, of churches forming and, 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 and reproducing and multiplying. And my job is to ask good questions of, of good practitioners. And, um, you know, because a lot of us are trying to reimagine what the church should be like. And uh, I just think, you know, it's, it's getting back to the identity piece, but then listening to the stories of where you hear uh, of generations of new disciples and new churches. We should give, and, and often the practitioners, they're, they're not writing uh, books and, and you know running podcasts they're, they're flat out um, and so I, I like to pursue them they're my heroes and help get their stories out that encourage the heart but also help them reflect on what's God do, doing what are you learning and get those lessons and principles out to a wide audience well, brother, keep up the good work on your on your podcast and on your your blogging and, and writing. I, I am certainly thankful for for you and uh, for all all that you're doing. Well, thank you, JD, and I, I certainly appreciate uh, the material you're putting out. Often, I I republish it on my own podcast uh, and and point people you're, to come you're, over. You're, you're, you're gonna now. you're gonna lose followers if you're putting my stuff out oh, there. Oh no, no, it's a big part. <laughs> My my guest today on on Strike the Match uh, has been been Steve Addison. Uh, we've been talking about uh, his book that is just about to come out. It's called The Rise and Fall of Movements. And uh, if you've been tracking with Steve over the years, you know that he's an international expert on this topic. He has a great deal of experience uh, in this area. Uh, he, he's, he's a wise thinker. He's a good missiologist. And, and what I appreciate about him so much is that he grounds his, his theology, his missiology, and his practice in the Word of God. And so he's always laying out that biblical foundation. And so I think you will really enjoy The Rise and Fall of Movements, a roadmap for leaders. Uh, you need to check this book out. Thank you, Steve, so very much uh, for being with us today on Strike the Match. You have been listening to Strike the Match with J.D. You can find J.D. on Instagram, Facebook, or follow him on Twitter at J.D. underscore. And if you'd like to check out more books, posts, and podcast episodes, visit jdmain.org. You can also subscribe to this podcast on your favorite Android app or at iTunes. And we'd be honored if you would consider rating us or leaving comments. Thanks again for tuning in. We hope you'll join us next time.